0: Um, I have just a handful of announcements before we dive into our sermon today. Announcement number one, do not forget that small groups are happening this Wednesday night. It is a brand new semester, and if you have not yet been able to check out small groups, I encourage you to come. It is never too late to join a small group. I don't care if you can only come once a month. I encourage you to come. It's the best thing that we have to offer here in student ministry in the way of being discipled, of becoming a disciple, of discipling others. It's where we take whatever's taught on Sunday, and we press into it, and we make it personal. We encourage others with, this is what it said to me. This is what I'm doing with it. We pray with and for others, and we get prayed for. It's just your place where you get to be known and know others. If you're sitting in this room right now, and you're like, man, there's a lot of people here. How do I get to know anyone? Small groups are how to do that. So every Wednesday night from 6 to 8.15, We meet here and do that, and we welcome you all to come. Um, Don't forget that we have on the table before you an opportunity to use your gifts, to glorify the Lord, to press into the theme for the year, and potentially make some cash. So we have an art contest that's before you. It ends September 15th, and we are taking our theme sermon series called Tattoo My Soul, and we have given you this idea of, What would it look like to tattoo my soul with the word encourage or encourager or the phrase encourage love and good deeds, which is our theme for the semester? What would it look like if that phrase was tattooed on a heart, written on a soul? And as you think about that and consider that, we encourage you to turn that into a piece of art. I don't care if you write a poem, take a photograph, create a digital piece, sketch something, paint something, whatever you like to do, do that. And then submit it. You can bring it to us at the info desk at one of our services. You can email it to us at students at woodsedge.org, And we will take those pieces, and whichever three best capture the heart of our series, first place gets $200 cash, second place $100, and third place $50. And we'll consider all of them as something we can turn into a prayer card and put on the 7 Apples app. So... Um, just a great, cool, interesting way to excite you guys, I hope, to what is, to consider what it looks like to write truth on your heart and tattoo it on your soul. So that, pri- or that contest is going now and in September 15th. To give you a time and a place to work on that, we have art ministry today right after this service. So from 1230 to 230, we're going to meet in the cafe. We're going to feed you free lunch. We're just going to be a place to hang out with other fellow creatives and work on your projects or get started or ask questions about it. So that's happening right in there at 1230. Those are our announcements. I'm going to do a quick pop quiz today instead of ring pops. I'm going to give away a t-shirt for each question. Question number one, um, our theme this semester being we are going to be encouragers. We're going to encourage love and good deeds. Did anybody do any sort of good, good deed this week? Anybody at all? Sam, what would you do this week? You were helping someone else and you broke your foot. She literally laid down her life for her friend, maybe broke your foot. We prayed that it won't be broken, she'll find out tomorrow. So Sam did something to help someone else, cost her a little bit something. Sam, for you, we have an encourager shirt. It's a medium. If you already got one, you can give it to your friend. You didn't even try to catch it. You just like bye. Just watched it sail by. I can't, like I'm throwing these real good, you guys. All right. Question number 2. The 7 Apples app. This is a cue to like pull out your phone and pull it up. This is our tool for Bible study and personal quiet times every day. They're great quiet time tool. Can you tell me what is the first picture? on the app right now. Whatever picture is in the top left corner of the app is the most current. If you tell me and you get it right, I'm going to throw a seven apple shirt at you. I think I saw a hand in the back. What do you got? It's this little boy holding a gun. It's graffiti I shot in Ecuador. And if you're like a picture of a little boy with a gun, what's that up? It's actually a great scripture. So go check that out. Last question, what is our definition of a disciple? for a Tattoo My Soul t-shirt? You, sir. So I'm not going to say that's not true, but that's not our definition, but that is a definition, and you know what? I have two shirts, so good try. But who knows our definition for what a disciple is? No, but yes, but no. You guys have to cut that shirt in half and share it. Yes. know, who obeys. Okay. Perfect. You got it right the first time. Well, there's another great throw, and it just skips off of you. The definition for what it means to be a disciple is a baptized believer of Jesus Christ who obeys God's Word. That is our definition for what it means to be a disciple. Those are our pop quiz questions. Will you bow your heads with me and prepare your hearts and minds for what God has to say to us today? Jesus, we thank you for Today, for right now, that we're up, we're healthy. We might be a little rough around the edges. Um, We might have some hurts and some pains, but we're here. And as much as we have gathered here to see our friends and to hang out with each other, the main reason we're here, whether we know it or not, is to meet with you. And you have given me words to share with not just us, but me. I need these words. And so may nothing distract us and me from receiving what you have to give today. I know there is life in these words. I know there is encouragement and comfort. There is healing in these words. And so right now, would you just help us to open our minds, to unlock our hearts, and invite you, come in and speak something eternal, powerful, transformative to me. I need healing today. I need encouragement from my Father in heaven. We welcome that, and we ask in your name, Jesus, do it. Amen. All right, today, our sermon, I think we're in week five of our series, Tattoo My Soul, which comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 11, where God says, write my words on your heart and in your soul. Do whatever it takes to remember what I'm telling you. Tie my words to your hands. Wear them where you'll see them every day. Teach them to others. Talk about them wherever you are. When you're at home, talk about them. When you're on the road, talk about them. From the time that you get up in the morning until you go to bed at night, talk about my words. Inscribe them on the doorframe of your house. Write them on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your family may be blessed and flourish in the land that I swore to give you and your ancestors. There are lots of ways that we get to remember what this book says, what God himself has to say to us. Those ways are reading this book. And when you see something that really grips you, Read it again, and read it again, memorize it. I like writing scripture in my house on mirrors, or on windows, so I see it all the time. I like to make t-shirts that literally have bits of scripture on it. I didn't make this one, but I like it a lot. But it's based on a scripture that says, I'd rather be known by God than men, meaning I'm famous enough, I want you to pay attention to my Jesus. Other ways are you can turn it into a piece of art, like we're doing with our contest. Take a piece of scripture and write a poem about it. Write a song about it. Turn it into a photograph or a prayer card. That will help you remember. All those prayer cards out there, I make those. I love if you use them, but I primarily make them for me because that's how I process and learn scripture. That's how I write God's truth on my soul. And because I have a horrible memory, I will even go so far, I tattoo scriptures on me to remember them. And as you may know, every single one of these scriptures is a verse that I asked God for in January of a given year, beginning with 2008, that I press into all year long. And each week of this sermon series, we're looking at one of these, and we're about to look at one now. So I want to share my life verse with you from 2011. It's this one down here. Nope, that's a lie. 2009. Psalm 127 and 128. But I need to give you some background to this verse by telling you where I was at the beginning of that year. Um, Last Monday, this past week, was my daughter, my firstborn's 10th birthday. That's crazy to me. She's 10. She's double digits. Um, For my quiet time over at Starbucks last Monday, I went and I, I grabbed my journal off the shelf From the quiet time I had when I asked God, Do you want me to start a family? Like, do you want me to have kids? Because that was a big deal for me. I was scared that I would never make enough or be good enough to have a family, to have kids, to provide for that. And so I asked the Lord about it back on December 9th, 2008. And so I asked God some questions that morning, and I wrote them down with some scripture He gave to me. And I'm going to read you that quiet time in just a moment. But again, for context, I was in a difficult season that year, that month. I was working here at Woods Edge. I was only on staff for a couple years at that point, and they only had enough to pay me part-time. So I was working and being paid for 32 hours, but thinking about starting a family, um, wanting to be an overachiever, while I was being paid 32 hours of work, I was actually putting in 60 hours a week because I wanted to be noticed, I wanted to stand out. I wanted them to say, man, that Justin's a go-getter, and I wanted to hopefully make enough, do enough to start a family. But all that work and not being paid for it had an unfortunate side effect. It made me bitter. It made me mad that nobody was noticing. It made me resentful that nobody was giving me more than I had asked for, um, and it was hurting me. And it was hurting me not only here at work, making me bitter for nobody giving me more, but I was also spending less and less time with my wife in this season of life when it was just the two of us. I was neglecting her and I was neglecting our marriage. And so I'm going to read you my quiet time from that season on this particular morning, December 9th, 2008. And I begin Good morning, Father. Thank you for today help me discover who you created me to be that was how i started my quiet time that morning you know that i'm killing myself at work you know i'm afraid of starting a family but i feel like a family is where you're leading us what do you want to say to me about this and i just opened my bible by faith trusting that every word of this book being God-breathed and useful and inspired by the Holy Spirit, that wherever I landed, that at least a word, if not a sentence, if not the whole chapter would grip me and speak to the exact question I asked, and I had no idea how much it would speak to the exact question I asked. Remember, I'm working my tail off and nobody cares, nobody notices, and it's hurting me, and I'm asking God, do you want me to start a family? Those are my questions, and this is the psalm that I open to in response. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest. God takes care of his loved ones. Tell me that God wasn't speaking directly to me with that. I responded, Lord, you know that I am guilty of harboring this anxiety. I am so doubtful that I can provide for a family. And yet I know You give rest to your loved ones. And I know you love me. Please deal tenderly with your untrusting son. Please forgive me. Please help me. Lord, do you want us to try for a child? And this is the next line in the scripture I was reading. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Lord, the idea of a family is so frightening to me. You know this. And you know it has always been so for me. I know that my fear is distrust. And that's a sin. And yet here I sit, not trusting you, afraid. My God, I pray for a miracle of providence for me and my family. I believe your promises. So Lord, will you take care of us if we take this step of faith and start a family. And the next verse was Psalm 128. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. Put God first. All who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine. Flourishing within your home and your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. And I just wrote, you're a funny guy, Lord. Amen. So, I'll summarize my quiet time for you, and then we're going to get into how it applies to you. I sat down. 10 years and a few months ago, 10 years and nine months to be exact, and I told God, I confessed in my journal, I've been doing things my way, and it has left me anxious and afraid. And right now I would ask, have you been doing things your way in your life, and are you feeling anxiety and fear? You're not alone. And I Told the Lord in my quiet time, I'm going to try things your way this year. I'm going to try things your way in 2011. And instead of just deciding, I'm just going to work even harder, I decided, I'm going to, I'm going to read what this says. I'm, I'm going to remember it. And you know what? I'm just going to do what it says. And it says to relax and trust God and stop working so hard. So that's what I'm going to do. And I went to work the next day, and I told my boss, hey, I'm going to stop working 60-hour weeks. I'm going to go back to the 32 that you told me to work. And he was like, you've been working 60 hours a week? Fool, we're not paying you for that. I'm like, yeah, I get it. And I just relaxed, and I started working just 32 hours a week. And I got to spend more time with Brooke, and I started enjoying myself again, and I had time to work on prayer cards again, like all good things. And I just rested, and it was a really sweet season. And I told Brooke the night that I had this quiet time, I feel like the Lord wants us to try for kids. And so we tried. And it was exactly nine months later that Charlotte Jane, our firstborn, would arrive. Here's a picture of her. And this is the first week of her life. And you guys, I look at that picture and I think about that story afresh this week, given that it's her 10th birthday this week. And that picture... And all that it represents is simply this. I gave God my fear, and he gave me freedom. He gave me new life. He blessed me, and he flourished my family just like he promised. And we named our daughter Charlotte, because when you give your fear to God, he gives you freedom. Does anybody know what the name Charlotte means? Freedom. And so I have a reminder every single day, God set me free. It's not all about what I can do. It's about what he can do. It's not all about trusting in myself, it's about trusting in him. And I have this beautiful little landmark in my faith and in my life. And if you know my daughter, she oozes freedom. And I need that reminder every day. So, I took that step of faith. We got pregnant. And every day of that year, I would go to the Lord and be like, Hey, buddy, nothing's changed at work. I'm still poor. We're barely making ends meet. You said if I trusted you, you'd take care of us. And do you know that on the eighth month, 30 days before Charlotte was born, my boss called me back into his office and said, hey, we got some money available, I'm giving you a raise. They doubled my salary. I never did anything but work (laughs) less than I had been. So God kept his promise, and then he delivered that children, that gift, that reward to me. And my life has never looked the same. So how does all of that relate to you guys today? Let's get into our sermon. We're going to spend most of our time in the beginning of Psalm 127, that first one of the two that I read to you. Psalm 127, verses 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. Why? Why? Because God gives rest. God takes care of his loved ones. That's not his promise to Justin. That's his promise to all of us. Does anybody know, just out of curiosity, and if you were in the last service, who wrote Psalm 127? Nobody? I probably wouldn't have known either if I hadn't looked it up. We'll get to that. But, suffice to say, the author of Psalm 127 understood how useful it is to rely on my strength, to rely on my best idea, to rely on the ways of the world to get us through this life. And you probably know that too. If you have anxiety or fear anywhere in your life, I would challenge you even this morning, even now, to look at where's the anxiety coming from, where's the fear coming from, where's the stress coming from. It's probably coming in one way, shape, or form from you doing life your way. From you trying to manage your problems your way and not God's. And that's not a judgment. It's a loving warning from somebody who's been there and done that and seen it doesn't work. The author of this psalm is obviously someone who knows that trying to carry the world on your shoulders only leads to stress because you weren't made to do that. That's his job. That's Jesus's job, not your job. The author of this psalm knows that if you are pursuing perfection And nothing else is good enough. Do you know where that's going to leave you? Anxious. Because nobody's perfect. You got somebody in your life that you think is perfect and it's not Jesus? You're wrong. They're not. You're not. I'm not. Only he is. The author of this psalm knows that if you are just living to work, to achieve, sooner or later you're going to self-destruct. I bet some of you have stories even now at your age where you've already seen that come to pass. I'm going to do it my way, I'm just going to work harder and longer, and something breaks. All right, and I know many of you feel like this simply because you live here now. This culture, this part of the world, the Woodlands, Texas, and all that surrounds it, we are notorious for overworking our students for having such high expectations on you, you can never live up to. Where we just push you to the breaking point. I think it's a huge contributor why suicide is such a huge thing in our area. Because you guys are just work harder, do better, keep up, or succeed. Everyone. Do better than everyone. I was a student in this area, and I know the strain that you're under. And I am As a parent, I apologize to you for the strain that's on you guys, but this area is notorious for taking gifted people and asking more than they can ever give on their own. And what what does that lead to? Well, the Bible said uselessness, anxiety, stress, destruction. Um, I think of Crazy, talented people like yourselves, driven to perfection by the world they live in. And I asked the Lord, like, okay, what are some examples of that that everybody will recognize? And I had two. I don't know if you know this example necessarily, but you know the event. Buzz Aldrin, anybody know that name? He was one of the first men to set foot on the moon. Talk about an achievement. How do you study and train to be an astronaut and then go into space and then go and walk on the moon and then come back and ever hope to top that? Think about it. This man gave all of himself to be the best astronaut in the world. He goes to the moon and he walks around on it. Like who gets to do that? And then he comes back and he's like, "Well, now, now what? What, what do I do now? What do I do with my life now?" Do you know that Buzz Aldrin, this man that made this amazing achievement? I mean, for the rest of his life, people are looking up to him. When he got back. And his tenure as an astronaut ended, and he still had decades of life left, that he fell into such a deep depression that he, like, went underground and went and got a job as a used car salesman and was just like, I'm tired of people asking me about it. I'm tired of trying to live up to the hype. Like, he couldn't handle it because he pushed himself to perfection for so long and achieved. Like, he did it, what he set out to do. And he realized on the other side of it, there's nothing, like, what, now what? What? It broke him, you guys, because he was living for his work and not something greater. And then I had another idea for an example. Anybody know the name Michael Phelps? Michael Phelps is one of the most dedicated, driven athletes that you will ever hear of in this life, one of the most successful athletes in the history of the world, definitely our generation. More gold medals at the Olympics than anyone has ever come close to, and Michael Phelps trains 365 days a year, hours a day, Christmas, holidays, Easter. It doesn't matter. He's in the pool and he's going. And he achieves greatness. Like, who's ever going to top that greatness? And do you know that when the Olympics were over, it was just a couple months and he tried to take his life because he was just like, this is not worth it. He achieved the greatest thing he could achieve in a sport, in any sport. And when he was all said and done, it was like, that left me so empty, because he was working for the sake of work. He found his identity in work in, some, in something instead of something greater. Um, there's a lesson there for all of us this morning. It tells us something. It tells us that if your accomplishments, let's take it back to you and me, if your accomplishments are more important to who you are than God's love, you're in trouble. If your work and what you can produce is more defining in who you are right now than the fact that God says, I love you, you're perfect, I lo- you're, you're just wonderful right there where you are right now, if that is more important than that, we're in trouble. And the Bible's warning us of that. Like a father delicately, gently warns his son or daughter, don't touch that. That's hot. Don't go there. That'll hurt you. So, the author of Psalm 127 knew, it doesn't matter how good I am, how much work I can do, if my hope isn't in God, I'm going to get hurt. And who was the author of Psalm 127? Well, the answer is in 1 Kings chapter 4. God gave Solomon great wisdom, the deepest of understanding the largest of hearts. There was nothing beyond him. There was nothing he couldn't handle. Just think about that. Here's God talking about this man and God himself just said in Scripture, there was nothing beyond him. There was nothing he couldn't handle. Solomon's wisdom outclassed the wisdom of all the wise men in the east, all the wise men in Egypt. He was wiser than anyone. So, Here's the most capable man on the planet. And God himself said of him, there's nothing this dude couldn't do. And what does this dude have to say to us? Hey, no matter how gifted you are, and believe me, I'm gifted, if you're relying on yourself, you're going to get hurt. But if you're relying on God, you're going to be blessed. The wisest man in the world. Those are words we should remember. Those are words we should inscribe on our heart. I can't find my value in work, in grades, in my track time. I need to find my value in God. So, here's a question for you. And if you're not writing anything down yet, now's the time. Grab your pen and paper. But I want you to Ask God these questions as I ask them to you. This is just between you and the Lord. Don't worry about the people on your left and your right. This is your moment, one of several to come, where it's just about what God has to say directly to you. Question number one, are you relying on God or yourself when it comes to resisting temptation? When temptation hits, are you just trying to, like, power through it? Or are you just throwing it in the towel and doing it? Or... What are you doing? Are you relying on your strength, your ideas, or are you, like, asking God for help? Are you praying in the moment? Are you singing through this storm? Are you forcing yourself to open this book and read it as God tells us to until temptation passes? When it comes to temptation, are you relying on yourself and your strength, or are you asking God for help? Because one of those things is going to hurt you in the end. One of those things is going to bless you more than you realize. Question two are you relying on God or yourself when it comes to your relationships? Specifically, who to date? When it comes to, man, this chick is hot. I'm going to date her. Are you just dating her and hoping like, that she has character and like isn't going to lead you down a dark path? Girls, are you dating this guy because he's just like swole and popular and whatever? Or... Are you guys taking this very important element of being alive, relationships, dating, and saying, God, what do you think? Should I I date this person? Should I not? Um, If it's a yes, are you asking the follow-up, when should we date? What would you have our relationship look like? When it comes to relationships, are you relying on what you want, your best idea, or are you taking a minute and just asking, hey, God, what do you think? Because he knows that person better than you. And he knows if you're ready for them or if they're ready for you, and on and on. He knows all the things. When it comes to where to go to college, are you relying on your best idea, on your parents, on your advisors? Because hey, that's great. Since the moment you were born, did they put you in that little maroon onesie? And they're like, whoop, they're going to be an Aggie. Hey, that's great. But have you, because it's your future, taken the time to say, God, where do you want me to go to school? When do you want me to go to school? Do you want me to go to school? Because if you haven't asked those questions and you just charge into university because everybody said so, you could get hurt. I'm not saying anything's wrong with college, but you need to ask the Lord what he thinks. When it comes, ultimately, you guys, to the life that you are building right now, with the decisions you make, the people you spend time with, how you carry yourself. When it comes to the life that you're building right now, are you doing it on your best ideas, on your power, or are you asking God for direction and help on a daily basis? Because one of those things is useless. It's going to get you hurt. One of those things is going to bless your socks off. Building our lives on our best efforts and our ideas is called pride. I'm going to say that again. Building your life on your best idea, on your strength, is called pride. Pride is when you say, I know better than you. I'm going to do what I want to do despite you. That's pride. It's the root of all sin. God is warning us in Psalm 127, pride is unsafe, pride is useless, Pride results in anxiety and stress and fear, and pride will ultimately cause whatever you're building to fall apart, to sink like a stone. As I pondered Psalm 127 this week and the idea of building something on our power, I was asking the Lord another question like, what's a historical event that everybody would recognize that demonstrates what we're talking about? And immediately I had an idea in the form of a movie. Because I think in movies. I don't know why, but I like it. And before I tell you the answer, before I show you the movie God showed me in response, we're going to ask another question of the Lord. Pen and paper in hand. Will you just ask him, where am I relying on myself? Where in my life... Am I relying on myself? It could be college. It could be a relationship. It could be something I haven't said. But where are you relying on your strength, your abilities? And as you hear or sense, oh, right here. Write it down. And question number two, which is just as important. Ask the Lord right now, where in my life am I refusing to ask for help? Somewhere in your life right now, you could use Jesus, his love, his encouragement. Somewhere in your life right now, you need to ask him, please, God, help me. And you're not. I'm not. So where is that? Just own it, acknowledge it, write it down. Now, I want to show you the visual that God gave me when I was pondering this question. What does it look like? when I put all my eggs in one basket and it's not your basket? What does it look like when I rely on my best idea, my strength, think of your thing that you're relying on all by yourself where you're not asking for help. Here's a picture of what may well be in the process of happening to you right now. Check this out. Waste of deck space as it is in an unsinkable ship. Sleep soundly, young Rose. I have built you a good ship strong and true. She's all the lifeboat you need. A good movie. Have you guys seen Titanic before? I don't want to give away the ending. It sinks. You guys, back in 1912, man built a wonder of the world, the Titanic. And they dubbed it the unsinkable ship. And the first time it goes to sea, it sinks. Talk about pride. What a horrific, horrible, Reminder, 1,600 people passed away that night because they didn't put enough lifeboats on the boat because they said, oh, it'll never sink. The Titanic, this unsinkable ship, is a perfect example of what happens when we build our lives on our best idea, on our strength. Our best ideas and our strength cannot hold up against all the world is going to throw at you. All the enemy is going to throw at you. The only thing that you need to be standing on is what he has to say, what he has to give. Sooner or later, wherever you're not asking for help, wherever you're relying on yourself, I don't say this to condemn you. I say this because I love you. Something's going to break. And not only yourself, but the people around you are going to get hurt. That's not God's desire for you. That's not God's will for you. And it doesn't have to be your future. God's desire is that when we are hurting, when we realize this isn't working out, that we ask him for help. That's why he's there. He's the giver of every good gift. You missing gifts in your life? Well, go to the giver and ask for whatever it is that you need. Speaking especially to this group of people today, year after year after year of being your student pastor, in the second semester, usually around April or May, graduating seniors, begin coming to me at the end of every service, sometimes by twos, saying, I've just spent 12 years in school studying, excelling, and I'm going off to college next summer and I have no, or next semester, I have no idea what to major in. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to be. What do I do, Justin? And I'm just like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell you. But my answer is, As far as how to proceed is always the same. Go talk to Jesus. Grab a Bible and a pen and some paper. Go find a quiet place and sit down. And you just tell Jesus, this is what I'm worried about. This is what I need. And then read some Bible. Read some truth. Read some scripture. And if you see something in there that tells you something to do, you go do that. And the answer will come. You guys, reading this book, remembering what it says, and then doing it is the best way to find the way forward for your life. And if you're just relying on yourself, that's like a picture of what might happen. It hap- it's happened to me several times. Multiple titanics in Justin's life. And I lost people. I hurt people. And all along, God was like crying out in this book, there's answers here for you. There's comfort here for you. I could have easily kept working 60-hour weeks. I could have easily just been like, no, I'm going to double up and and work 120 hours. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to. But instead, I just went to God and said, this isn't working. I need help. And he gave me this beautiful, simple verse that said, give me your worry, give me your fear, and I'm going to give you some freedom in return. Um Do you guys remember what my initial prayer was in that quiet time 10 years ago? My initial prayer was, Lord, show me who you created me to be. That was my initial prayer. And that is so often the problem with all of us. It's not that you get wrapped up this, that, or the other. It's that you forget. It's that I forget that God is my Father, and he made me his son, and so I have nothing to worry about. We forget. Who God is and who he created us to be. Where's the ultimate source of reminding us of who God is and where he created us to be? Right here. This is where we should run to when we're stressing out and wondering how to proceed. God's word, which if we will read and remember and write on our souls and then just do it, everything changes. Everything changes for the better. God did not say to me, Justin, everything you're building is going to fall apart because I was in trouble. He was saying, there's a better way. God wasn't saying, give me your fear because you're horrible and bad. It was, give me your fear because I got something better to give to you in return. And he gave me my identity. I thought I existed on this planet to work and provide and toil. And God was like, no, you exist to be my kid, to enjoy your life, and not to have one but multiple. Show me my picture of my family. That prayer started for Charlotte. And I got her. And then I had Wyatt. And now we've got River, who's like just turned nine months old, and who's in like the 18, what what is he, hun? Is Brooke in here? He's so tall, he's wearing 18-month-old clothes. So I made like literally a superhuman, right? Thank you, Jesus. Don't fight him. He'll take you out. He's got sharp gerbil teeth, too. You guys, all of this family started with that one quiet time when I went to the Lord. Do you want me to start a family? What a question to ask the Lord. And then, when? And he said, yes. And he said, now. And here we are, 10 years in. And I wouldn't change it for anything. But none of it would have existed or happened if I hadn't gone to the Lord and said, I got a problem. I need some advice. And he was like, done. Here's the way forward. I'll talk to you later. So, here's what we're going to do. I want to give you a time, a moment, it's way too short, but it's all we got, to grab pen and paper, and I'm going to have you do exactly what I did that day, all those years ago, and I know in my heart that God is going to say something profound to you. He's going to help redirect and course correct for you right now. Again, the recipe is fourfold. The first two pieces are this. I'm going to invite you to give God your worry and then ask him for help. On your piece of paper, not between you and the paper, but you and Jesus, just write down a prayer. You've already got it started, whether you realize it or not. What's your worry, your stress, your fear? What's that thing that you're refusing to give to him? I want you to just write a short prayer to Jesus and say, Jesus, I give you dot, dot, dot. Whatever your thing is that you're trying to do on your own strength where you're not asking God for help, whatever it is that's most pressing right now, just write a prayer to Jesus. I give you this. Just give it to him in prayer. You're literally doing work in your spirit right now by writing those words. And when you give something to the Lord in prayer, you need to immediately, don't wait, ask for something in return. You've created space. Now fill it. So write out, I give you this, Lord. But now ask him, what is it that you need? Do you need peace today? Ask Jesus for peace right now underneath that give. Do you need some healing today, whether emotionally, spiritually, physically? Ask Jesus for healing today. Do you have a friend that you are just so burdened for? Ask Jesus, Will you use me to encourage them? Will you use me to save them? Whatever you need today, ask the giver of every good gift in prayer. If you're writing, continue to write, but technically, you could stop there. I mean, that's a really valid, worthy prayer, but I don't like to stop there. I never like to pray unless I also add in some of God's words. So I'm going to put Hebrews chapter 10 on the screen for you, and this is our verse for the semester. This is, this is our life verse for this school year, and I want you to now read this, and whatever leaps off the page at you, whatever grips your heart, I encourage you to write it down and just claim it Hold fast without wavering to the hope that we cherish, confess, and infirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise to us. So let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, dreaming of how to inspire or encourage one another to acts of love and good deeds. And may we not forget or neglect are meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What word, what sentence, what idea from that truth being spoken to you is gripping you today? Own it. Write it out. And then the last step is just turn it into some action. This is what God has to say to you. This is what he wants you to remember. What are you going to do with it? If you feel like you need to go and encourage some people today, just write down, I'm going to encourage this person today. If you feel like you need to do a better job meeting together this week, I want you to write down, I will come to small groups this week. I will meet with my friends after school this week. If you need to do a better job remembering that God keeps his promises, write down, I will read my Bible every day this week. Turn God's word into action and he will bless you things will start to flourish. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond to what God has said to us this this afternoon. No, morning. No, both, because it's 1230. And as you respond, I invite you to bring your prayers, and you can leave them as an offering with your offerings, or you can keep them for yourselves. As you respond, you can come and take part in enjoying the elements, taking communion, just saying, Jesus, thank you for making a way For giving us your word, for setting me free from fear and giving me freedom. As you respond, you can sing, whether you're having a great day or a horrible one, and just say, I love you, Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is your name. You can do one or all four. But respond to what God has been saying to you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for today. I trust and I would go so far as to say I know that you spoke life to us this morning. So I pray that the life that we've heard, the life we've received, would result in us walking that life out. You do not call us to be a people to do it all on our own. You do not call us to be a people to just be stronger, to just do better. You call us to be a people that lay down pride and just embrace you. Embrace humility. Embrace each other, and say, help me, Jesus. Heal me, Jesus. You're our savior. We embrace you as such. Save me today from these lies I've been believing, from this backwards way I've been living. We love you, and we pray that you would help us put our faith in action today. You have proclaimed us encouragers. And so may we encourage someone today as you've encouraged us. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Respond as you feel led.